KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, December 1st, inside an investigation into police use of force. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A San Diego case may be the first test of California's Crown Act, which seeks to prevent mistreatment and discrimination based upon natural black hairstyles. Jeffrey Thornton says Encore Global, an event production company, asked him to cut his dreadlocks during an interview for an audiovisual job at the Hilton San Diego Bayfront. Thornton says he couldn't accept the job under those conditions. I was told that if I were willing to make that sacrifice, that the position would be waiting for me, which it still is, I assume. He says he worked for Encore in Florida since 2016 and was never questioned about his hair before. He's filing a legal claim against the company. A federal appeals court upheld California's ban on high-capacity ammunition magazines. A San Diego federal judge had previously overturned the ban and ruled it unconstitutional. The appeals court ruled 7-4, to four, saying that California's ban, quote, reasonably supported California's effort to reduce devastating damage wrought by mass shootings. The leader of California's state auditor's office says she's retiring at the end of the year. Elaine Howell has led the nonpartisan watchdog agency for 21 years, and she offers this guidance for whoever Governor Gavin Newsom appoints to succeed her. The advice I have is you have to protect the independence and the integrity of this this office. Otherwise, the credibility is gone and the work that we do uh, doesn't have the relevance that it has now. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. California lawmakers are debating a bill that would prevent a law enforcement agency from investigating its own officers when they shoot people. Right now, these investigations are conducted by the officers' own departments. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser found that in those investigations, officers can get different treatment from the people they shoot. And a warning, the following story contains graphic descriptions and sounds. In the early morning hours of a Sunday in March 2016, two men made choices that led to police investigations. But how the investigations were conducted and their outcomes couldn't have been more different. The first was Jose Blanco, an undocumented immigrant who had gotten into a fight outside a 7-Eleven in Vista. Then Blanco saw a group of men rushing toward him. He and his wife, jumped in his car and tried to get away. My intention was to rescue my wife and not to get beaten. But when the others arrived, I was scared even more. Blanco didn't know it, but the men who rushed him were off-duty sheriff's deputies. 
The deputies surrounded Blanco's car. He first threw it in reverse, hitting one of the deputies, then lurched forward. That's when Deputy Jason Phillips ended up on the hood of the car. Um, I was either straddling the hood or laying literally on the windshield because I could see his white t-shirt and see him driving. Um, and I, I knew I was going to either fall off the vehicle and be crushed or he was going to accelerate at a high rate of speed onto, excuse me, East Vista Way and I would be badly injured or killed. And uh, at that point, I discharged my revolver through the windshield trying to stop him um, from driving off. Though Phillips was not working, not in uniform, he was armed with a concealed handgun. And he'd spent the night drinking, two to three shots of tequila and three to four beers, he later told investigators. He shot Blanco multiple times, but Blanco survived. Blanco told detectives he had no idea the men who rushed his car were police. I didn't know who they were because they didn't have a uniform. If I had known they were cops, I've seen so many stories of people being shot you and killed. Do you think I want to die? Later that morning, both Blanco and Phillips were questioned by detectives. But that's where the similarities of their experiences end. Phillips' questioning was straightforward, even friendly at times. He had a lawyer with him, and the detectives helped him arrive at answers. I had My drinking had stopped significantly earlier in the evening, and I'm not sure how to word it. My, I was, Let me my, ask you the question. I think what he's getting at was at any time during the evening did you feel that you were intoxicated? No. Okay. Meanwhile, Blanco was interviewed by sheriff's detectives in the hospital without a lawyer. The detective challenged him over and over, telling him he was lying. Because you are not going to tell me you don't remember? I know you are not a liar. Now is not the time to tell lies. How did you hit them? I swear to you, I don't. I don't remember hitting anyone in reverse. No. How is that possible? I mean... You are not telling me. What are you afraid of? What are you hiding? Police officers have a presumption of innocence or a presumption of fair play. Ann Rios is a defense attorney who often represents people subject to force by police. Yet victims slash suspects don't have that presumption of innocence, which is ironic since it really is the defendant or the accused that actually does have a constitutional right to a presumption of innocence. Dave Myers is a retired sheriff's commander who's undergone internal affairs interviews. He says investigators often take a friendly approach toward their fellow officers. It is the fox watching the hen house. If the intention is a fair and impartial fact-finding mission, I mean, the internal affairs processes, and I've talked about this for years, are, are flawed. And it's, and it's flawed and it's intended to benefit the law enforcement agency. The sheriff's department would not agree to an interview for this story. Phillips's lawyer, Richard Pinkard, says officers who shoot suspects are properly scrutinized. They can face multiple investigations from their own department's homicide division, then internal affairs, then outside agencies. He wrote in an email to KPBS, the two separate in-depth investigations into Phillips's actions were appropriate under the circumstances. 
This incident was thoroughly investigated by the Sheriff's Department and then independently investigated by the District Attorney's Special Operations Division, he wrote. The DA concluded that Deputy Phillips's use of lethal force was legally justified under prevailing law given the totality of the circumstances, which is why Deputy Phillips was not charged. In a KPBS review of more than 300 internal records from local police agencies, only one officer has ever been charged for shooting someone. That happened last summer, when Sheriff's Deputy Aaron Russell was charged with murder after he shot a mentally ill man who escaped from a police vehicle and was running away. The KPBS review also found just five cases that result in any punishment for the officer. This case with Phillips was one of them, but it wasn't for shooting Blanco. He was reassigned and suspended without pay for four days for violating department policy. The violation was for carrying a gun while he was drinking. Meanwhile, Blanco was ultimately charged with multiple counts of assault, including assault with a deadly weapon for hitting the deputies with his car. He pleaded guilty to assault and was then deported to Mexico. And that was KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. To search the police records and see a map of where these incidents occurred, go to kpbs.org slash police records. Almost every city in San Diego County is now divided into districts that elect local city council members rather than electing them in a citywide vote, but not national city. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim reports that Filipino community members are planning to sue for greater political representation. The California Voting Rights Act says minority groups who believe their political power is being diluted in citywide elections can sue. And that's what could be happening soon in National City. Adi DeCastro is the attorney who filed the official violation. Historically, National City has had at-large voting, which has resulted in dilutive voting for the Filipino and APIs that reside in in the city of National City. Asian Americans are the second largest demographic group in National City, second only to Latinos, according to the U.S. Census. But that's not reflected in National City politics, says DeCastro. In the past uh, two decades, uh, there hasn't been any significant um, progress in getting Filipinos and APIs to be represented on the city council. He believes the law is clear and the precedent has been set by other cities in the county. If you take a look at cities like Poway, Solano Beach, Imperial Beach, those are cities that are smaller and less racially polarized, but yet they adopted district voting. So if you just look at precedent, I think National City has to become a district voting. National City officials have until December 23rd to respond. KBBS reached out to the mayor's office for comment and did not hear back. Dita Yamani is a National City resident and realtor who ran for city council in 2020 and lost. She thinks district voting is key to ensuring accountability. I believe now is the best time for districting, most especially there are issues and concerns that constituents are wanting to be addressed and they would like to see that person accountable to them and that will service them properly or will address their concerns properly. 
Yamani says district voting would help enfranchise Filipino-American senior citizens, many of whom feel left out of the political process and are fearful of the rise in anti-Asian hate. This part of the population are sometimes, yes, they speak English, right? But they wanted to see somebody that they can relate to, to, to share their issues. Sometimes they get intimidated when they don't see that person representing them. And that was KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim. The attorney representing Filipino community members said if the city doesn't extend or adopt a plan for district voting, he will move forward with a lawsuit. San Diego's vaccination mandate for city employees is approaching. Employees must be fully vaccinated or apply for an exemption by today's deadline. KPBS's Kitty Alvarado spoke with an infectious disease expert and got community reaction to the mandate. Unvaccinated city employees are running out of time to comply with the COVID vaccine mandate. They have until December 1st to be fully vaccinated or apply for an exemption. At more than 35 percent, the police department has the highest number of unvaccinated employees, followed by maintenance workers at more than 26 percent and the fire department at more than 15. I just have trouble understanding it. Um, the science seems really clear. Eric Hansen, who lives and works in San Diego, was getting his booster shot at Lincoln High School. He says he doesn't understand why first responders, especially police officers, have such high numbers of unvaccinated employees. And I deal with the public as much as they do. I deal with classrooms full of kids. And um, so I, if I have to do it and I am doing it, I don't see why they shouldn't do it too. Lindsay Gabriel was also getting a booster. She says first responders have earned the right to have the option. The first responders, um, they're there for us. I feel like they have, they, they should be able to make their own choice. We need the workforce intact. We need the workforce healthy. We need these first responders uh, fit and able to live long and healthy lives uh, to take care of us. Um, and I think this is really an essential piece of that. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, a professor and infectious disease specialist, says unvaccinated people have a higher viral load for a longer period of time and infect more people, creating more strains that pose a risk to everyone. Most of the variants, if not all of them, pretty much arise in unvaccinated individuals. We need to break the chain of transmission if we're going to stop the deltas, the alphas, the gammas, the omicrons of the future. The city says employees who refuse to get vaccinated will get a letter stating they are in danger of losing their jobs and have 30 days to comply. If they fail to do so, the city will begin the termination process. And that was reporting from KPBS's Kitty Alvarado. Coming up, oral arguments are set today on a case that could hollow out Roe v. Wade. And if so, California would likely become a destination for out-of-state patients seeking abortions. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers 
whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear oral arguments today on a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the 1973 ruling that affirms a woman's constitutional right to receive an abortion. Now, should Roe be overturned, abortion advocates are preparing for a surge in out-of-state patients traveling to California for the procedure. KQED's Katie Orr looks at whether the state is prepared. The case before the court considers whether a Mississippi state ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy is constitutional. The court's ultimate decision could undercut Roe v. Wade, which does not allow bans on abortions before a fetus is deemed viable, usually around 24 weeks. Shannon Olivieri-Hovis is the director of NARAL Pro-Choice California. She says there will be national implications if the conservative-leaning court sides with Mississippi. We estimate that 26 states will outlaw abortion entirely or almost entirely. And if 26 states outlaw abortion, millions upon millions of women and pregnant people across this country will not have access to care. Because of its liberal abortion laws, California would likely become a destination for people prevented from getting abortions in their home states. Olivieri Hovis says California is largely prepared, but has some challenges. For instance, she says the state does allow for a wider range of health professionals to provide abortion care. But in order to actually be able to make that practicable, they have to get adequate training and they have to have adequate clinical experience. They also have to work in a facility that allows them to provide that care. And that's not always the case. To address issues like that, the state has set up the Future of Abortion Council, which will identify barriers to care and recommend solutions. Jessica Pinckney is the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice, a nonprofit that helps people access abortion services and is a council member. California is really making strides to kind of shore up our abortion access here in the state and make sure that the folks in California and those who would be coming to California can access the abortion care they need. A recent study found if Roe versus Wade is overturned, California could see a nearly 3,000 percent increase in the number of women of reproductive age who would travel to the state for an abortion. And that was KQED's Katie Orr reporting for the California Report. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.